Well, I have the opportunity to read scripture this morning, but just before we read from 1 John chapter 2, just a reminder that uh, perhaps you know or are unaware that uh, our senior pastor, Pastor Ken McDonald, is uh, on sabbatical right now, uh, left Christmas Day for California, and we're stuck, but uh, it's nice and warm there, and it's it's sunny outside here, so that's a good thing. Um, I thought my car was very helpful this morning as I had come early to do uh, uh, some of the setup and some of the things that we do to get ready for service and before I headed home to clean up a little bit, um, and I did an okay job, right? Uh, but anyways, um, I'm driving home and my car, you know where you have the temperature? It went, it was toggling between minus 34 and ice. And I thought that was very helpful because I thought, you know, it's good to know that the roads might be icy on when it's minus 34 outside. So anyways, be careful out there and uh, i glad that you're here this morning. This morning, in Pastor Ken's absence, uh, we have a special guest speaker who's known to us. Corey Anderson is an elder here at TCC. Uh, He and his wife, Beth, have four children and uh, have been attending TCC for probably four years now already. And so have been on this journey with us from the days over at Taylor in the gym to the uh, building project and to being settled here. And uh, Corey has spoken here before. Uh, one of our go-to, and we're very blessed at TCC. We've got uh, um, people who have had uh, experience and training. Uh, Corey uh, was uh, formerly serving as a pastor in Barhead, right, and Rimby, Alberta, some of the major metropolises of, uh, of Alberta. Um, but uh, so we're looking forward to that. And, uh, and in Pastor Ken's absence, we'll have a bit of a rotation that Corey and then me and then Kyer Hammer, who's a, a, a professor, of sociology, right, is your background? Did I get that completely mixed up? I'll wait for two weeks. I'll get the introduction right, Kyer. And then and Dr. Sid Page will also uh, be speaking uh, during this time. So stay with us, journey with us. We're going to return to our studies in First John that we started before Christmas and then took a break through the Christmas season. And so we're going to pick it up in the middle of chapter 2, and uh, we'll continue on from there. So let's read God's Word. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, 
but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The word of the Lord. Corey. Thank you, Pastor Norb. Um, he was, Norb was mentioning a moment ago that his car was toggling between minus 34 and ice. You know, when I got up this morning, I looked and I, and I saw my uh, AccuWeather app on, on my BlackBerry. I'm the last one that has one, by the way. Um, but as I looked at my AccuWeather app on my BlackBerry, it said that it was minus 38, right? And so that's, that's even colder. And I thought, do I walk to church or do I drive this morning? And I thought, you know, it's six blocks. I walked. Yeah, fortunately for me though, and, and I haven't seen her yet, but Beth was driving the kids, so, um, so, so they did not brave the weather for that. Um, it, it's interesting though, we were also talking just a moment ago about how Pastor Ken is, is in California and how lucky he is. Well, you know what, that's not entirely true because California has no idea what it means to, to, to have a 40 degree temperature variance within 14 hours, do they? right? So we got something up on them, and if we're looking for something to congratulate ourselves on, that's probably a good place to start. You know, I'm really not into New Year's resolutions, right? And this last week, we all kind of sat back, and it's a natural, normal thing um, to to start the year with resolutions. And uh, I, I really do understand that each and every year, there are certain people that will throw together some type of laundry list of of things that they want to do in the coming year, and they get really excited about their New Year's resolutions. Unfortunately, for most of us, it is much harder to keep our New Year's resolutions than it is to make our New Year's resolutions. And so we, we often just aren't as committed to following through on, on what we need to do to succeed. So I I try to set mine a little bit more realistic and reasonable. So on January 1st, I think it was the 2nd actually, I was walking by a gym and and I was looking at it and I was thinking, you know what, not a bad idea. I I could stand to, to spend a little bit of time at the gym. But I thought to myself, you know what, if I go out and I buy a gym membership right now at the beginning of the year, everybody's going to look at me and go, yeah, he's just doing it for his New Year's resolution. So, and then in six months from now, I'm going to have to admit that I failed on it, right? And, and I didn't want to do that. So I thought, you know what? Maybe I'm going to put it off until just a little bit later on in the year. And, uh, and maybe I'll reevaluate this again in August or September when I'm not trying to look like I'm not succeeding at a New Year's resolution. Then I thought to myself, you know what? The best resolution that I could probably make is to consider consider buying a gym membership at some point in time this year because I think I can fulfill that one at some point and it doesn't commit me to doing anything, right? Um, Research on New Year's resolutions indicates that only 75% of us, 75% of us, maintain our New Year's resolution through the first week. 71% through two weeks, 64% past a month, and 46 through the first six months of the year. 
Now that same research also indicates that 40% of those who said they made it through six months were lying. <laughs> Each year we make New Year's resolutions because we take an inventory of our lives and we look at ourselves and we see perhaps that we need to make some type of change or there needs to be some type of growth. Unfortunately, most of us lack the willpower to get through the first couple of weeks or, or, or perhaps even days. We look at our lives. We look ahead. We dream. We see this is what needs to happen. This is what can change. Do you know what's interesting? As a parent, when my kids were first born, and the very first time that I held my children in my arms, I imagined what their lives would be like as they got older. Right? And I'm, I'm sure many of you can relate to that. You sit and you wonder, how are they going to do at school? Will they be great leaders? Will they be brilliant orators? Will they be gifted writers? Um, will they have the ability to speak truth into the lives of those who are around them? Will they, will they be good at sports? Will they be good at the arts? Are they going to be motivated to explore science? We long to see our children step beyond infancy and to do incredible things with their lives. When our children are born, there is a lifetime of potential that sits right at their fingertips. And as parents, it's absolutely thrilling to dream about what our children can and will become as they get older. Do you know, when God looks at his children, or God looks at us, he too dreams. And God too imagines what our future will look like, and he thinks about what he can do with our lives. During our spiritual journey from childhood through teenage years, through adulthood, God continually provides us with tools, resources, love, rewards, discipline, all of that to help us grow. He holds our hand. He takes us by the hand as we take our first steps. He helps us through crisis. He helps us through challenges. What is God's objective? to grow us from infants through adolescence and ultimately into spiritual adulthood. As pastors Ken and Pastor Norb have been leading us in the study of 1 John, we've seen that John has taken really a grandfatherly role and he's been giving fatherly advice from somebody who's been there. And in 1 John chapter 2 verses 12 to 17, John talks about the process of spiritual growth that begins when we first come to Christ. And this morning, as we begin 2014, and as we look ahead to some of the goals that we want to achieve over the coming years, I want us to take a deeper look at the process of spiritual growth. And here in 1 John chapter, chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, I want us to take note that he defines, or John defines, three very distinct phases of development. First of all, he says you will go through a phase of spiritual development called childhood, and then adolescence, and finally, adulthood. But before we jump into 1 John, I want us to realize and understand that spiritual growth and development, it's not linear, right? It's, it's more of a cyclical motion. It's, it's not a straight line right across. Um, just because I've moved from one phase of development 
and I've moved on from it. It doesn't mean that God is finished with a particular issue in my life. And there are going to be times when I'm going to need to jump back and forth between adulthood to adolescence and back into childhood and then back into adulthood. God is going to make me at times revisit issues over and over again. Growth is not linear. It's a cycle. And it is very difficult to break down the stages or periods of life or or to suggest that it comes as easy as simply looking at age. In fact, I really believe that if we are healthy, if we are growing in our, as Christians, we are going to repeatedly cycle through these three phases of spiritual development. And there are going to be times when I need the constant supervision. And there are going to be other times when I'm going to explore my own values and priorities. And other periods where I'm going to be called upon to mentor and, and build up somebody else. If I'm not cycling through these issues or these phases there's probably something wrong with my own development. And so this morning, I want to take just a few moments, and I want us to look at the differing expectations of God, that God has of me in each of these phases that, he identi- that John identifies here in John chapter 2. And so the first phase that is identified here is childhood. And in this phase of growth, there's really an, an extra need for supervision and a lot of help. As a child, I'm very self-focused. I'm hungry. Feed me. I'm thirsty. I need you to get me milk. I'm bored. I want you to play with me. I'm not yet self-reliant. And although I'm learning to become independent, I need my parents to virtually do everything for me until they can teach me to do it for myself. When I'm a child, I need my parents to teach me to walk to talk, to eat, to wash my hair, brush my teeth, get ready for school, make sure that my clothes match, to to follow through on my homework. During this phase of spiritual growth or childhood, it's all about learning. And in a lot of ways, my experience is very self-centered. When I'm in childhood, I'm really not expected to be building into or strengthening other people. When I'm in the childhood phase, I'm really not expected to serve as much as I will be later. It's all about me. I'm very dependent on other people to hold my hand, and I'm very dependent on people to feed me. This is a natural and normal part of our development. And during the childhood phase, I have one responsibility to learn it's to learn john tells us in john chapter 1 john 2 that we are to know the father and to understand uh, what he's saying we need to really think about the relationship between a parent and their child in most cases most cases mine included our children have a very poor sense of personal boundaries They don't understand that if they touch the fireplace glass, it's going to hurt. As a parent, it becomes my responsibility to set and teach boundaries. The child knows that the parent is going to care for them. The child 
knows that the parent has a responsibility to teach and to nourish them until such a time as they can stand on their own, right? It's the parent's responsibility. How do our children learn? Well, they learn by watching our priorities. They learn by watching our values. They learn by seeing how we interact with the world around us. Our children learn by watching. They get to know us. In the same way, we as God's children get to know God by watching the way that he interacts with the world, by watching the way that he interacts with us and the way that he sets boundaries. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, Paul describes the maturing process when he writes this, Then we will no longer be immature children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. In other words, Paul is telling me that during the childhood phase, my life will feel extremely unstable. During the childhood phase of life, I'm extremely vulnerable to the influences of others, whether those are good or bad. And I'm, I'm going to be very influenced by well-meaning friends who might just end up sending my life into further chaos. As a child, I'm very gullible. And as a child, I need to be extremely careful about the influences that I surround myself with. Let me give you an example. Last Christmas, um, Beth and I took our kids to visit their grandparents in, in Winnipeg. And much to my surprise, when we got to Winnipeg, it was extremely cold. In fact, it, it was so cold that you really couldn't spend a lot of time outside, right? And, and because you couldn't spend a lot of time outside, and because it was Christmas, um, many of Winnipeg's amazing indoor attractions were either closed, unavailable, or non-existent. One of the ones, I'm not sure which one. So how did we pass the time? Well, we sat and we watched a Finding Bigfoot marathon on the Discovery Channel. On the show, now imagine this is with my four little kids, right? On the show, the biologists, these bio, so-called biologists, scoured the woods across North America, including, by the way, here in Alberta, looking for proof that Bigfoot exists. We watched countless town hall meetings, and we learned to imitate the Bigfoot mating call, which I'm not going to do for you today. Um, over and over again through that Bigfoot marathon, I explained to my children that there was no such thing as Bigfoot. And yet, one year later, every time we pass a stand of trees, my children look at it and go, Dad, is Bigfoot coming? Is there a Bigfoot in there? A year later, they still believe that this is true. Why? Because the Discovery Channel told them there is a Bigfoot, and because the Discovery Channel told them that, it must be true. Children tend to believe whatever they're told. They're easily manipulated. And you know what's interesting? My kids, my kids certainly didn't notice that these so-called Bigfoot hunters built supposition upon assumptions and then called it fact. My kids didn't notice that 
that, that when this, these so-called scientists told us that fur being gathered might be Bigfoot fur, and never really told us what animal it did come from, my kids never actually heard two Bigfoots calling back and forth to each other, but they did hear a scientist tell them that it existed. The ability to scrutinize and analyze what we're being told comes only after we develop our own life experiences. And that is exactly why my children's mother needed to come to me and say, you know what, it's probably not a good idea to let your kids watch scary TV, even if it's on the Discovery Channel. They can't figure it out. They're just not there. And so when God moves me into the childhood phase of spiritual growth, I need to surround myself with godly, experienced, and wise people who will help shape my perspectives and provide understanding to my circumstance. During the childhood phase, I have a responsibility to seek out and find the people who have the life experience that I'm lacking, and I surround myself with them. And these people, they need to have permission to speak bluntly with me. It's, it's not meaning that they've got to walk on eggshells, but it's giving them permission to smack me on the back of the head. Their experience and their wisdom begin challenging my perspectives, and they reshape my personal beliefs. So how do I know when God is moving me from spiritual adolescence or adulthood into childhood? When is he moving me back? Well, probably when the simplicity of my life is challenged. I, I might have a strong personal belief. I might have a strong foundation or a clear focus and perspective. And then all of a sudden, God flips my world upside down. And he challenges everything that I believe. One moment, I may have a secure sense of who I am. And suddenly, not so much. He's flipped my world upside down. Next, John addresses young in the faith, or the adolescent. To the adolescents, John writes, you have won your battle with the evil one. Then he writes, you are strong, and God's word lives in your hearts, and you have won the battle with the evil one. <laughs> During adolescence, I am no longer satisfied to sit back and hear others tell me that God's forgiven my sin. I am no longer content to simply hear the stories of the faith that other people have. During my spiritual adolescent phase, I want action. I want to see something happen. So during this phase, I begin testing the boundaries of my skills. I begin testing what my abilities are. And I begin taking on new responsibility. As such, this phase of spiritual growth is not so much about learning for, from others as much as it is building my own set of experiences. During this phase, God expects that I'm going to begin standing up on my own. And because I begin standing up on my own, I'm probably going to fall down a fair bit. Thus, spiritual adolescence will require a great deal of personal patience and a willingness to endure. Now, I want you to remember, growth is not linear. It's cyclical. I can expect 
that as a believer, I'm going to be constantly gaining new, new experiences. As such, I'm never really going to leave this phase of life or of spiritual development. In James chapter 1, verse 12, we read, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Well, as we mature, as we grow, we discover that it is possible to stand strong in the face of the challenges that lie before us. And this phase of growth and development demonstrates to us a, a newfound strength that we may not have ever been seen before. As a spiritual teenager, I test my skills, my experiences, my knowledge, and my boundaries. And in doing so, God is able to begin defining the, his bigger picture expectations of my life. And it's here that I begin to experience the challenges and setbacks and the successes and victories. And I start looking for opportunities to give back to others and serve. But again, before I become effective, I build life experience. And so when life becomes complicated, confused, chaotic, the things we learned during the childhood stage, provide us with a certain grounding in our faith. But it's only as we see and experience the power of God in our lives that we fully find the perseverance necessary to, to persist. In Romans chapter, three, uh, chapter 5, verses 3 and 5, Paul writes, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now, for just a moment, I, wanna, I, I want uh, to walk the path that Paul leads us down here in Romans 5. He, first of all, he says, Problems and trials will produce endurance. Easy times don't challenge or strengthen us, do they? Not, not to the same extent that, that challenge and difficulty does. We learn to persevere in the midst of our challenges and difficulties. Second thing he says is endurance develops strength of character. It takes character to persevere, and therefore, if I'm forced to persevere, it's naturally building character which he then goes on to say, character produces hope. I have seen now, and I have experienced and discovered what I'm capable of doing, and therefore I can rest in the hope of, uh, that I know of what's yet to come. But you know what's even more important? When I am persevering through trials, I begin to discover what God can do. I can see how God handles these crises. I can see how God works in my life. And I can see how this all gives me hope for the future in terms of crisis or challenge. Next, Paul says, hope does not lead to disappointment. Now, I'm going to be the first to acknowledge that God doesn't always do or never does what I think he should do. God's going to do what he is going to do. However, his plan for our lives leads to a deeper fulfillment and understanding than I thought it would. Hope does not lead to disappointment. During the teenage years of spiritual development, 
God opens my eyes to his power. And during this time, as I'm testing boundaries and I'm learning life experiences, I gain an understanding and a confidence in how he operates. It's what this phase is about. It's about learning how God works firsthand. And so I gain an appreciation for his strengths in all situations. So how do I know when God is drawing me into the adolescent phase of development? Well, there are probably a few indicators here. First of all, perhaps I'm now faced with challenges that seem to be bigger than I am. Okay? Second, I'm no longer content to just simply sit back and hear other people tell me their stories. I've heard them. I want to see fruit. I want to see action. I want to see something change. Third, perhaps God puts me into positions where I'm now having to face new challenges and new difficulties. And now I have to look at life in a whole new way. During the spiritual phase of adolescence, what, are, what is God doing? He's giving me experience. He's giving me reasons to trust him as things get even more difficult later on. So the next step of spiritual development that John addresses is that of adulthood. And twice, John writes the exact same words to those who, are, who, are, who he's describing as more mature. And he says, I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ. You know Christ who existed in the beginning. The adult phase of spiritual growth appears to be more about relationship than anything else. In John, the word know or to know implies a greater depth than just a surface knowledge. The word that he uses here doesn't just apply to something that I read in a book. It's not just a story now that I've heard from somebody else. This knowledge that John describes is a deep knowledge that has grown and developed in the trenches. This knowledge that John describes here in 1 John is built on a solid foundation. In first or sorry, in Philippians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11, Paul echoes this when he says and, I, and, and this is key. I want to know I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Sounds good so far. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't just know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. When I move into adulthood, I don't just know that it was God's power that raised him from the dead. I don't just know that he suffered. Why? Because I've experienced it firsthand. I have firsthand touched the grace of God that led Jesus to the cross. I have shared 
in the suffering of Christ on the cross. And I understand that to know Christ is to experience the fullness of his life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, we read, When we joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in death. It's an experience. For we died, and we were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. There's a knowledge that's deeper than just a book. It's a knowledge that comes from experience, that comes from living it, that comes from breathing it. And so as I join with Christ in his death, I discover that the adult phase of development is about letting go of my priorities and embracing the eternal goals of a loving God. I put to death my goals, my hopes, and I embrace God's vision for eternity. Understand, to experience his death and his suffering is more than just abandoning what I want to see happen in my world. It's about putting it to death. Rick Warren writes about New Year's resolutions when he says, God is far more interested in why you're doing something than what you're actually doing. He's far more interested in why you're doing it than what you're doing. He says, God won't bless a goal established because of fear, but he will bless a goal established because of love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything with love. Your goal must be an expression of love to God or people. So as it turns out, God's ultimate goal for my life has more to do with embracing his love for me than it does for me proving what I know. His goal has more to do with his loving me than my being able to prove to you what I can do. His goal is about letting me love and experience the fullness of that vision. During the adult phase of the Christian life, I have a new confidence in God's strength, and I learn to lean on him when I'm weak. I learn to trust in him when my world is collapsing, and I find ways to merge his priorities with my own. The adult phase of development isn't about doing great things. The adult phase of spiritual development is not about experiencing new challenges. No, it's about experiencing the person of Jesus Christ and allowing his Holy Spirit to deeply influence the inner part of who I am. I join with Christ's suffering when I put to death my own goals and I adopt his own eternal plan as my own. So throughout the development cycle, there is a phase of learning. There's a phase of being taught. And in the development cycle, there is a phase of gaining new experiences and, 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 and learning um, to, to live and, and define God's vision and my abilities. And finally, there's a phase where God needs me to put to death. He needs me to put to death my goals and adopt his. It's not linear. It's a cycle. 
And it's a cycle that you will likely need to experience over and over again. And if we're going to maximize on the cycle, if I'm going to maximize on the cycle, or you will, we need to identify where we are at in the cycle and what your responsibilities or mine are in this particular moment. And so as we begin 2014, I want us to start with a very simple question. Where are you in your growth and development cycle? Where are you at? Is God teaching you something new about him? Are you in a place where you need extra support and encouragement from others? Has God moved you to a place where what you really need is a few godly people to come alongside of you and to challenge you? Well, if that's the case, in Mark chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus says very clearly and very simply, let the children come to me. Come to me. Has God moved you to a place has God moved you to a place where your life has become complicated and confused? Are you in a position where God is giving you a wide breadth of new life experiences? Are you in a place where you're discovering what it means to endure challenges and overcome trials? Well, in Matthew chapter eleven twenty-eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Are you at a place where today you need to put to death your own agenda? Do you, do you need to embrace God's? Is that where we're at today? Jesus writes to us and he invites us to come, come back to the cross. As we begin 2014, have you looked at your life and have acknowledged that something needs to change? Where are you in your developmental cycle? I want to encourage you to start the year off by asking God to support and strengthen you wherever you're at in this cycle. As he grows, invite him. As you grow, invite him to mature you into the man or the woman he wants you to become. As we come to the communion table this morning, I want to encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. Ask him to show you where you are in this cycle. Ask him what you need to do, what needs to happen while you are here in this phase. And this morning as we approach the table, I really want to give you a moment. Take this opportunity. In the silence of your heart, approach the Holy Spirit and ask him to align your priorities with his. Will you start 2014 this way? Let's pray. Lord, as we start 2014, and as we begin this new year, I want to ask that you would identify in each of us what needs to happen. Where are we at in our cycle? What needs to, to occur for our growth? Father God, show, show all of us this morning, show me what my responsibilities are in this in the coming year. Is it is it to learn? Is it to embrace a, a new set of experiences? Is it to put to death my own agenda? So Lord, as we come to the communion table this morning, I, I, I want to invite your Holy Spirit to roam freely through this room. 
and, and just speak into each of our hearts and each of our lives and say, you know what, Corey? This is what you need to do. This is what needs to happen. This is what I've got for you in the coming year. Lord, allow us as we set our goals and our resolutions for 2014 to be able to align them with where we need to be in our cycle. We just ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.